Okay, you can be turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Can you believe that we're going to finish another book of the Bible today? Yep. And in two weeks, you remember Michael Jr. is here next week, two weeks we'll start the book of Colossians, another great book that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome. I would say Paul knew how to make the best use of his time, wouldn't you? That he didn't just sit around and mope and have a pity party because he was imprisoned. He made the best of his time. And so... Uh, I titled this message, The Secret of Contentment, because Paul's going to let us in on a secret today. I guess it won't be a secret then, will it? The secret of contentment is found as we're going to be studying Philippians 4. We're going to actually start in verse 10. He says this. Remember, he's writing to the church in Philippi while he's imprisoned in Rome. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's referring there to the church had sent uh, some financial resources to help Paul while he's in prison. He shared that uh, a man named Epaphroditus brought goods or brought finances to help Paul because if you were in prison in those days, you likely didn't get fed. And so people from the outside had to help. You know, in those days, it, probably, it was probably hard to find where Paul was at. Maybe they didn't have an opportunity, like, where is this guy at? But now they finally knew where he was at, they could bring him. They couldn't send it by PayPal or Venmo or anything like that. But now they had to bring the financial help in person with a carrier, and that's what they did. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. So you're going to see, this is learn to be content whatever the circumstances Let's just stop there. Contentment is not something that comes naturally. Have you ever saw a child at uh, getting ready for Christmas saying, you know, Mom, Dad, I think I got enough toys this year. You don't have to get me anything this year. In fact, it's just the opposite, isn't it? We had a couple of our youngest grandchildren staying over at the house this week, and, you know, I was watching, uh, you know, some... uh, you know, cartoons with him. I think it was like Curious George or something. And all of a sudden, a commercial comes on, and it was like, I was going to fast forward it. And our granddaughter, no, no, I want to see the Barbie commercial. You know, it's like, you know, they get all excited about, I want that for Christmas. And then our son sees this monster truck thing, or our grandson sees our monster truck thing. And it was like, oh, they get all excited. But it's not just with kids, is it? We also can be discontent where we're always wanting more. And Paul's saying here, I've learned a secret. I've learned how to be content, whatever the circumstance. See, see, I think a lot of us would think that, you know, if I had plenty, if I was a millionaire, I'd be just fine. Then I'd be content. How many of you know that isn't going to be the case? There's a lot of very wealthy people that are not content. So Paul's going on here in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. All right, good. Paul, I want to learn. You've learned the secret. And, he, and it's not based on circumstances. He says, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret, verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some of your versions I like even better. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, that is, and oftentimes people will cherry pick verses. They will just pick a verse out. See, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
But you realize that's tied in the context to contentment. It's related to contentment. I don't care how hard you try, you're never going to play basketball like Michael Jordan. You can't stand on this verse and say, well, I can do all things, so I'm going to... No, this is related to contentment. And this actually, you know, I just share this. This is why at Calvary Chapel, we're really um, strong about teaching verse by verse through books of the Bible. Because you get the verses in context. In today's teaching, there's two of those verses that people will put on the refrigerator. They're probably favorite verses of everybody. And sometimes they, they stand on them as a standalone verse, but they're connected to other verses. Paul's saying, this is the secret of contentment, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So in other words, let's just talk about, well, what is contentment, by the way? If we think about contentment, what is that? And I, I was trying to work around. I, I pulled some things from different definitions to try to come up with one that I felt like fit really well. But I'll, let's just see. Contentment is a state of satisfaction, peace, and thankfulness in one's current circumstances, regardless of external conditions or material possessions. See, what it's saying is no matter what you have on the outside, can you inwardly be at satisfaction, be at peace and thankfulness? That's what contentment is. And like I said, it doesn't come naturally. You know, I was thinking about this contentment. I was thinking about when Barbara and I first got married. We got married while I was, uh, um, I still had my senior year in college. She had just graduated. We were both working part-time at the same place, and we both had to, we had no money. We had to go to school on student loans. We worked part-time to cover our expenses, but I was so in love. I I couldn't wait till I graduated and had a good job. No, we're going to get married while I'm a college student. And uh, we were so poor that in our wedding, I mean, after our wedding, we took the cards that people gave to us, and we opened them up, and we got the cash out, so we had gas money to go camping. <laughs> we only stayed in a hotel that first night, and then we drove all the way down, because we got married during spring break, because I remember I was a college student. It was cold in Iowa, so we drove to South Padre, Brownsville, Texas area, because it was warm down there. During spring break, we went camping. We took our tent, took sleeping bags, took a cook stove, and that's... Uh, and we were so happy. We had nothing. And then we came back to a little, hot, uh, mot- we call it the Roach Motel. It, it was uh, a little um, apartment that was married student housing on campus. And I, and I think our rent was like $190 a month. Our utilities were like $12. But we were still poor. It was a stretch. We qualified for free food from the government. We were that poor. But you know what? We started out knowing that we had Jesus and we had each other, and we were content. I still remember in our living room, we had this gold couch with a cigarette hole burn, and we just put a pillow in a certain place to cover up the hole. But we were content. I can tell you it wasn't always that way. Later on, you know, my career's taken off. I'm making good money, traveling all over, doing things. And next thing you know, I, I can't speak for Barb. I don't think she had the same thing. But for me, I got real discontent. It was almost like the more I made, the more I wanted. And I was like, oh, there was a, and it got a hold of me for a while until I realized what was happening. That we had moved, I had moved in my heart away from the contentment that I found in Christ. And it was like, 
I've got to accumulate more. I accumulate, and now I've got this, and I can buy these things, and now I've got to uptake, and I've got to use these things and keep them updated, and I've got to invest this money and try to get the biggest return for it. And it was like I was going nuts because I was trying. I was, didn't have the contentment. And God brought me full circle. It was actually after we came back to Flor- came here to Florida, and I got out of the, the, the extremely um, well, stressful corporate world that I was in and took a different job. That I was like, no, I got to go back to what is so important. See, one of the things that I enjoy doing now and getting ready to do it next month, taking 34 people from the church here, is going to Guatemala. I've been to Haiti many times. Go to some really poor villages and help people. Bring the gospel and also a ministry of helps. And every time we go on a mission trip, it recalibrates my heart back to what's most important in life. And that's Jesus. The gospel. See, we have an advantage and a disadvantage. We live in America. It's a huge advantage. The land of prosperity, right? But in some ways, it can be a disadvantage because we can all of a sudden get so immersed into the culture here that it becomes a part of our heart, and we can move away from what God has for us. And that's what Paul's sharing with us. And so here's our first point, and that is real wealth is about what we have in Christ. Never forget that. Our real wealth is, is what we have in Christ. He's, he, he is all we need. We sing this about, you know, that our contentment in Christ just today. We, we, uh, I, I really feel like real riches is not about how much you have. It's a how little you need. And God has a way of dealing with our wanter. Amen? He has a way of helping us not to be so driven to have to have more, have to have more. So that's where we need to find our contentment. You know, I love, it says in, in John 15, apart from Christ, we can't do anything, right? The other end of it is, in Christ, we can do all things. But remember, that's connected to our contentment with Him. So with our contentment in Christ, we can handle anything with His strength. Look at 1 Timothy 6. I think it's a great passage for us as we uh, think about contentment. Because it has a strong message there for us. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You want great gain in your life? Take those two and put them together. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich, that's unfortunately a lot of us, we can fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, remember, it's not money. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, there's nothing wrong with you having money. What's the problem is when money has you. You know, the scriptures are full, especially in the Old Testament, of, of some of the, the patriarchs of our faith were very wealthy, but you don't see it consuming them. And this is the problem, is that we, we can be content with a lot or we can be content with a little. We just trust and we find that our strength is in God. So here's, here's our next point. Discontentment breeds greed and selfishness. It just breeds it. Discontentment. I never have enough. Never have enough. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. 
There's nothing wrong with ambition. We should have ambition. We can have a godly ambition. We can have goals for our life, a vision. I think that that's fine. But again, what is the purpose of it? What is, the, what is our ambitions about? Is it to glorify God or is it a selfish type of thing? And so if you're ambition and you're like, man, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to make sure that God gets the glory out of my life, out of my family, out of my finances, great, go for it. But if it's just so people look at me and I can be elevated above others and it's like all about me, that's not good. It's not what God wants for us. There's a, uh, um, one of the Proverbs is from a guy named Agar. See, Solomon didn't write all the Proverbs, but in, in Proverbs 30, a guy named Agar wrote this. And let's look at it on the screen. It says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So he's saying, I don't want either extreme. But give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, what, what he's saying there is that we have to be careful. If we have too much, now all of a sudden, I don't have time for God. I got to use my money. Or if I don't have enough, oh, man, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. God's not providing enough. Both extremes can be bad. This is why I believe that there's wisdom. There's wisdom sometimes by God not giving us too much or too little. I think here's the biggest question. Can he trust you with riches? And how do you know if he can trust you with riches? Well, do you see it as a tool to help advance the kingdom of God? Do you see it to meet needs? You see somebody in need, and you want to go out there and help. You you will say, man, God has blessed me. I want to bless others. Great. See, that's what I believe the real thing that God wants for us, that we are a conduit. We are a pastor. He pours into us so we can pour out of us. You know, in Israel, you have the, the, the Sea of Galilee where water's coming in and water's going out, and it's full of life. And then just down the Jordan River, you have the Dead Sea. Everything flows in, nothing flows out, and it's dead. We're either like the Dead Sea or the Sea of Galilee, whether we're giving life back out or we're just taking it in. Let's keep reading because now Paul's going to shift it from this whole thing about contentment to more about generosity. Verse 14. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, so he's saying in the early days of the church, are you hearing about the gospel? When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. What Paul is saying there is that, you know, all the other churches I ministered into, they never helped me out. They never gave anything. But this church in Philippi, they got it. They understood about the principle of giving and receiving. And so they were givers. And as a result, they would receive back. And he, he's saying, you help me. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Well, let's just stop right there. Paul's saying, I'm not telling you this so that you'll give me more. This is not a hint 
You ever, you ever had people hint for money? Oh, I'd go out to dinner with you tonight, but I just don't have the money right now. Okay, I see what you're doing, okay? Paul's saying here, I'm not desiring your gift right now, but what I am desiring is for your benefit. When you're generous and when you're giving, look what it says there. I desire that more be credited to your account. What he's using there in the original language of Greek is like a bookkeeping term. It's like what he's saying is that, well, let's just say what we could all um, probably relate to. Most of you probably get financial statements in the mail. If you have any type of investments at all, you get statements. Maybe it's your 401k. Maybe it's your, you know, your IRAs. You get statements, and you see what your balance is. Sometimes they go up. Sometimes they go down. But there's a statement with your name on it and an amount. What Paul's saying is there's an account that's in heaven. And when you give to the Lord, when you're generous with your time and your talents and your resources, do you know you're storing up treasure in heaven? You're adding to that bank account, so to speak, that, that heavenly IRA or, or retirement account or whatever you want to say. It's, it's like a bank account in heaven that you're storing up. It's, it's actually credited to your account as you're giving. And Paul's saying, this is what I really, my bigger thing is not about you giving to me. It's really about what you're doing. Verse 18. I've received full payment, and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What Paul's saying there is now, uh, I'm not in need right now. You've helped me out. Thank you so much. You know, I'm not asking you to give me more, but I am so glad because your generosity is actually helping you as well. And he says, he, he compares it to the Old Testament offerings that are given. They're like a fragrant offering, acceptable, sacrifice, pleasing to God. Do you know when people came to worship the Lord in like in the Old Testament, they would come to the temple, they would bring gifts. Those gifts would cost them something. Some of the richer people would bring bulls and, and, and uh, an oxen or whatever, People would bring lambs and goats. If you're really poor, you'd bring something smaller like a, a turtle dove. But these were sacrifices. They cost the people to, be, to give and to worship the Lord. And that what Paul's saying is that your giving is like you're a sacrifice to the Lord. It's actually pleasing to the Lord, which I bring, I bring up to our next point. What a blessing to know that our generosity is a blessing to God. It's pleasing to God. When you, when you give, it's actually you're giving to the, to the Lord. It's pleasing to Him. Whether you give to this church, you're giving to another ministry, a mission organization, or whatever. As you're giving, you are a blessing to God. That's what he's saying there. Really, our generation should, should uh, well, it should be motivated by a heart of love. Look at this passage from Matthew 6. I know you know this one, but it, it just really fits really well with what we're, Jesus was teaching about the same principle. He said, don't store up, I think it's coming up, here it is, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store, up, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So it's just a reminder for all of us, be generous. Give to the work of the Lord. 
Store up treasures in heaven. I don't know exactly how this is all going to play out, but somehow when I see a, a passage like that, first of all, I see one benefit is that our heart is more towards God than the things of this earth. You know, if, if all your treasure is in your 401k and you're checking the numbers every day and looking, is it going up, is it going down, and that's where your treasure is, you know, you're not taking that with you to heaven. But if you're giving to the God and you're saying, God, you know, use this, I want to see your kingdom grow and so forth, it's like your, your heart is more towards the people of God and towards God and you're wanting to see more people, lives change, more people get, come into the kingdom of God. That's what, he, that's what Jesus was teaching. And how do we do that? Again, how we use our time. Are we using our talents, our giftings for the Lord? How are we using our resources like money? This is ways that we can store. And I was thinking as I was studying this, I was thinking back. I had a wonderful grand- grandfather and uh, grandmother. I spent a lot of time with them growing up. Um, they took me on trips, and my grandfather had a farm. I was always working on the farm with him. And, and I remember my grandma. She, was, she, uh, she, she had a... The saying that she would always be storing up things that she would find all these different items, different antiques, different things. She'd say, someday this is going to be worth a lot of money. Anybody have a grandma like that? Someday this is going to be a lot of money. And when you live in Iowa, you have a basement. And you know what basements are? For two things. Go to them when the tornado's coming and store away all the other stuff. So her basement was chucked full of all kinds of things that she stored up. Someday this is going to be worth some money. Do you know when she passed away, the family had to pay someone to come and clean her basement out, with most of it going to landfill? It's just the way things are. I, I remember, like, the craze a number of years ago, Beanie Babies. Oh, this is going to pay for my child's education. My, they're going to pay for their college, these Beanie Babies. Do you know what we do with those Beanie Babies today? People give them to us, and we take them with us when we go on to mission trips, and we give them to the kids because they're worth about as much as you paid for it, probably. But we know we do that. We, we store up things thinking, oh, this is going to be worth a lot of money. And someday it was like, no, it's not. But I can tell you one guaranteed thing. What you're doing for the Lord, that's what will, it will matter for all of eternity. Not just what you're doing here on earth. It will matter for all of eternity. Now, we have another verse that people will stand on and use. But again, remember the context. We have to see it in context of what we've just been going through. Paul's been just teaching about giving and generosity and so forth. So now verse 19. And, so we see the connection there. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God, very personal. Paul was like, this is my God. He will meet your needs. Why? Because they were generous. See, so often people will use this verse. They'll stand with it. They don't give anything to the Lord. They're not generous. But they stand on that verse like, oh, God's going to meet all my needs. Well, then you're cherry picking a Bible verse. You're taking it out of context. You have to see this is tied to being generous. This is what Paul's talking about here. And sometimes people think, well, you know, this church in Philippi, they must have been a very wealthy church. That's why they could help Paul. I want you to see 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul talks about the church of Philippi giving to him. Look what it says here. In the midst of a very severe trial, 
Their, off, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, doesn't sound like a rich, rich church to me, does it? Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. That's what Paul was saying about this church of Philippi to the church in Corinth. They gave out of their poverty. They gave even beyond their ability, but they were not manipulated to do it. I remember uh, when we lived in Iowa going to a church, and maybe some of you have had this experience before. I had a pastor come up to me. He knew I was a business guy, you know, probably knew I made, you know, good money, but he was doing some project for the church, and he came up to me one time, and he said, you know what? God has spoken to me that you're to give $1,000 towards this project. And I just looked at him and I didn't bat an eye. I said, well, God hasn't spoken that to me. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to be manipulated. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own. And that's how we operate here. We may present a need from time to time, but most of the time we just... Do you know this, that when we stopped passing the offering bags, offerings went down? Some people say, well, we should start the bags back up. No, we're going to trust God. We have our boxes. People give online. It's between you and God. But let me tell you something. You need to be generous because it's a part of following Jesus Christ. And we're we're doing fine as a church. If we have more, we'll do more. We're living within our means as a church, okay? We had to make some changes to get there, but we we are fine right now. So I'm not saying this because, like, Oh, boy, they must be hurting. No, no, we're not. Because you are a generous church. But see, the generosity isn't just about who you're giving to. It's about the giver. It's about raising a disciple. And so that's what Paul was trying to say to this group of people. So here's our next point. As givers, God promises to meet our needs. Let's go, go back to verse 19 again. My God will meet all your needs. Not your greeds, not your wants, okay? You may want a certain thing. God may not provide it. But as a giver, remember, we're connecting it to the generosity. As givers, God promises to meet our needs. Now, this next section is a little bit long. I'm going to put it on the screen. I don't normally put passages this long, but I I couldn't figure out how to cut it. It's just so good. It really says it better in God's Word than anything I could ever do, and that's the way it always is. But this topic of what we're talking about, giving to the Lord. So let's take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's talking again to this church in Corinth about giving. And let's look what it says. Remember this. It's really a word for all of us. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Sometimes people wonder, why am I always struggling? Why am I struggling? I never have enough. Well, are you sowing sparingly? You will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I can just tell you, I learned to be a giver when I first became a believer. And I've been given ever since. And you cannot outgive God. He always is meeting our needs. He's always going above and beyond. But never give to try to get more. Because that's greed. And sometimes... Actually, you'll see ministries that will, you know, you sow this into my, into my ministry and you're going to receive a hundredfold. People give for the wrong reasons then. We, we give out of just being generous, a loving God. So 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. In the original language, that actually means hilarious. Like you're laughing way more than any of my jokes ever. You are just laughing as you're giving because you're giving because, oh, man, I just enjoy this opportunity. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So you'll have everything you need to do what God's called you to do. As it is written, they've freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, see, he gives us what we even give, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. It always points back to God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Why why does God want us to be enriched? To be generous, right? You see it right there on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, as we're generous, as we're giving to God, it's an expression of our thanks to God. We not just only saw it in verse 11, but we see it in this next verse too. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So we see that when we give, yes, we meet a need, But we're also, it's an expression of our thanks to God. That's what we see here in that verse. I love the author, Randy Elkhorn, and he has a great uh, quote that I wanted to use uh, in this part of the teaching. And you'll see it up on the screen. It says, the more you give, the more comes back to you because God is the greatest giver in the universe. And he won't let you outgive him. Go ahead and try. See what happens. Take the challenge, in other words. See what happens. You're going to be generous? Watch and see what God does. See, he's, he's a generous God. And, and I, I was thinking about this. We were created in the image of God. Am I right? We're created in the image of God. Is God a giver? So he's created us to be givers. God so loved the world that he gave. And I was thinking about this little story about Peter. Peter was just starting to be an early disciple of Jesus, and Jesus was preaching to a crowd at the Sea of Galilee, but yet the crowd was so big, he asked Peter, say, take me out in your boat. Let's go out a little ways in the water, and then I can preach to more people because the sound will travel across the water as they're there. So, so Peter does it. Let's Jesus borrow his boat. When he got done, what did he do? Because Peter had given Jesus use of his boat, now Jesus says, well, let's go out a little further and put your net down. Of course, Peter's like, well, you know, we fished all night. We don't catch any. You don't fish during the middle of the day, by the way. He's telling Jesus how to fish. But he said, nevertheless, Lord, if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. He goes out there, and they bring in so many fish, the boat's starting to sink. See, as Peter gave, God gave back, and he gave an abundance. But, but remember, we don't give to get. Okay? God's not some type of Ponzi scheme. We give because he's a giver. And we give to meet needs. And we also do as an expression of our thanks. It's an act of worship to God. Amen? That's what Paul was trying to teach 
and, and share in these passages, not only to the church in Philippi, but the church in Corinth. Let's get ready to wrap this thing up. Verse 20. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Back when we started the book of Philippi or Philippians, I was talking about Paul was chained to Roman guards and people were getting saved. He actually saw it as an advantage. And you can see from this verse right here that Caesar's household, many of them were getting saved, so much so that they're now wanting to send their greeting to the church of Philippi. See, Paul did not sit around and have a pity party. He made the best use of his time. He actually wrote four books of the Bible while he was imprisoned in Rome, this being one of them. But here's another point. Look at verse 21, verse 22. Was Paul a Lone Ranger Christian? Or was he with other people? No, he was constantly with people. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send greetings. Caesar's household. So here's our last point. Don't live the Christian life in isolation. Develop godly friends. This is so important. We all need godly friends. And I'm not just talking about friends. I'm talking about people that you can call on at any time when you have a need. They can pray with you. They can encourage you. I can tell you we have a number, my, my wife and I, that we can call on. We know that they will pray with us. They stand in the gap with us. One of our big ones is our community group. Seven couples that we meet. We get together and we have fun. We have food together. We study God's word together. But we pray together. We bring needs to each other. We're there for each other. You all need to be in a group with people who you have that kind of relationship with. You know, most of those couples we didn't even know until we got into that group. You might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. I have people around me all the time. But are they godly? Are they people who you can trust to pray for you, that you can open up and share a, a deep need with? Are they the ones that are going to be there at the hospital when you have, you know, a, 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 a surgery getting ready to take place or something major happening in your life? We don't want to live in isolation. I think if there's one, one thing that we learned during the pandemic is people are not to be in isolation. It was harmful to our kids. It was harmful to us. We were to be in, with people. That's the way God meant us to be. We don't want to be like all separated all out and so forth. And social media, well, it's... it's it's fine, you know. Let me tell you, back to the contentment thing, it can cause us to not be content, right? But it also can make us feel like we're with people all the time when we're really, it's a different type of relationship. Be with people. The last verse, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul started this book with grace and peace to you, and now he ends it with grace. I would say that in our Christian life, we should begin and finish all with grace. See, that's what separates us out from religion. Religion is about your performance, what you do, following all the rules, checking all the boxes. That, that's all about you, what you do for the Lord or for whoever. But Christ, real true Christianity is grace-based. 
It's about what God did for us. And you might say, well, then do we have to do anything? No, we want to. We don't have to. We want to because the things that we do for God is an expression of appreciation to Him. And sometimes people think, well, no, you know, it's like, then, I, then I'm, I'm back into the works. No, it's, it's totally different because it's all based on grace. When God gives to us, it's based on grace. We don't deserve it. He pours out all of his blessings, and we just respond back to his grace. Amen? So as we get ready to wrap this message up, we talked about three big topics. One is about contentment. Let me ask you, are you content right now? Has God given you that? Do you know that secret? Have you got it? Like say, yeah, you know what? There's more things I would like to do in life and so forth. I, you, you can have that ambition, but are you driven? Do you have to have more? Are you content with what, where you're at right now? Some of you are maybe in some bad circumstances. You say, you know what? I wish they would change. I'm praying that they change, but I, I have a contentment right now, that peace inside, that thankfulness of where God has me at right now. The other topic was about generosity. Are you generous? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Do you see yourself as a pass-through where God pours into you so you can, it can pour out of you? Are you generous? And the last thing, are you connected with other believers? Do you have close friends who are godly that you know you can trust, that encourage you in the Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we wrap this message up, we thank you for the truths of your word, the challenges that you've given to us, the promises that you have for us. Lord, I just pray for your, your church, the people here, those watching online or here in Melbourne listening to this message right now, and even those who maybe watch this later on. Lord, help us to live in the secret of contentment, that we can do all things, but they're found through your strength in us that we can be content because of you in us, that our priority is to please you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. And as a result, Lord God, help us to be generous. Help us not to be stingy. Help us not to be selfish. Help us to use our time and our talents and our resources for you, for your kingdom. Because we do it to not only meet needs, but to express thanks back to you for you have been so generous with us and for those that are not connected yet with other believers they're not into a group they're not they don't have godly friendships lord i pray that they would seek them out that they would develop those relationships direct them let us pastors help them if they're having help finding that but lord we need that and so we pray for that and I just pray while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, if you're here today and you're not yet following Jesus Christ, He's not your Lord. Yes, you believe in Him and you, you uh, know He exists and maybe you've even read the Bible from time to time, but you know that He's not in charge. You're in charge. But you want to give your, that control of your life to Jesus. You said, I'm, I'm tired of trying to do this life on my own strength, my own power. I need God's help to, to do this. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want Him to forgive me of all my sins. I'm tired of carrying this burden of unforgiveness in my life. I want to give it to Christ. If that's you today, I want to pray for you right where you're at in your seat. Would you raise your hand up high and say, that's me. I need that type of relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to commit my life to Christ. Yep, okay. Others of you, yep. 
Who else? Okay, over here. Good. Yes, good. Best decision you'll ever make. How about up in the balcony? You all following Jesus up there? Any changes need to be made? By, by raising your hand, you're not joining the church. We don't even have membership here. Yep, okay, I see you there. Good job. Anybody else? With acting, the raising your hand is an act of faith, saying, God, I'm serious. I don't want this moment to pass by without making things right with you. I want to follow you. I need my sins forgiven. Anyone else? One more moment. We're going to pray. Okay? Good. Okay? Good. Thank you. Good. Okay, good. Numbers of you have raised your hands. I'm going to ask that you would you could put your hands down. And I want you to pray this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer. It's not some type of magic words. What it is, it's about you in your heart. You're praying to God. You're making this commitment to God today. So let me lead you in this prayer and just pray it under your breath. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to this earth. I know Jesus went to the cross and died for all of my sins and rose from the dead. Please forgive me of all my sin because I put my faith in you, Lord Jesus. And I declare that today you are my Lord and my Savior. Send your Holy Spirit now to live in me because I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. In your name I pray, amen. Can we give a hand to these that prayed that prayer? Awesome, awesome. At the end of this service, I'm just going to ask that those of you that prayed that prayer and raised your hand, if you could come down here, we'd love just to congratulate you on making the most important decision you'll ever make. And uh, we'd just love to give you a Bible if you need one, and, but we just want to thank you for that. So would you stand as we get ready to close in one last worship song?
beautiful words, right? He is enough. Now, as we get ready to close, if you are new here, we want to welcome you to Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, and thank you for worshiping the Lord and studying God's Word with us. That's what we do here. And uh, we'd love to meet you. We have a place on our commons that's right out here. There's a center ring called Connect. We'd love to give you some information, answer questions you might have about the church. We don't have membership here. You know, if God calls you to be here, you're just part of the big family here. Uh, also out in the comments, remember the shoe boxes for the Samaritan's Purse uh, uh, is, is out there. If you have prayer needs, any type of prayer needs, we'll have a prayer team here. Be glad to pray with you. Also, if you raised your hand up and you, you accepted Christ today or you committed that recommitment to Christ, we would love to congratulate you with that as well. So God bless you all and have a great rest of your Sunday.